podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode of Red Inca, we talk about what happens when you go from the person everyone wants a piece of to a voluntary 12th man in county cricket. And the story is told by the man himself. My name is Abhinav Mukund and I play cricket, speak cricket, love doing things cricket. His career started the way that quite often legends do. And since then, it's been a bizarre journey from batting with Ryle Dravid in a test to being paid £30 a day to run drinks at Leicestershire. We chat about his career, mental health, suicide, speaking out, and finding happiness when life goes in another direction. Just a warning going ahead, this is actually quite an uplifting and fun episode But there are some darker topics in there, including a young man who took his own life. So just letting you know beforehand that that will be mentioned. But I hope that the overall story is quite positive and you enjoy the episode. Let's go back to the start of your career. I'm going to assume, and you might correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm going to assume that you started off being a bit of a child prodigy, that you did very, very well, you were in the Indian team at an incredibly young age, and that your first real failure was probably as a test player. Are you one of those sorts of people? (laughs) I think it's fair to say that, to be honest. Uh, Look at the other guys around. Looking back when I was 21, I was playing at Lords. I had no clue which fork to use, which spoon to use for which sort of food that they were serving. So I was still learning the art of using the right folks for the right items on the table. So, yeah, I was 21. I kind of uh, got my test debut because a couple of senior players backed out. I played in the West Indies and life hit me. (laughs) This happens, I think, more than people know, because to get to test cricket, generally, you have to be incredibly gifted, don't you? And then to get to test cricket at a very young age, everything has to go right. You know, you can't have any key injuries. You can't have any form slumps. Like almost everything has to be going on an upwards curve. So either you have like a, let's say a Jimmy Anderson type thing where no one knows who you are till you're 18. And then everyone's so excited, they throw you in the team. Or you have the Sachin way of doing it, which is everyone knows who you are at a young age and it just keeps going up until you get to the team. And I remember Michael Clark really, really struggling. He came to the team, I think he made 100 in in Bangalore. Everyone was like, oh, how great is this guy? And then he went through this dip and he'd never had a dip in his life because he's always been really talented. When you were first out of the team, what was the first thing that you tried to process? How do you process it at that age? I didn't take it too well. I thought I was supposed to be in the team for another series at least. I'd be very honest because the entire team had a very bad series. The England tour of 2011 is quite well documented and the entire team had a bad run. I played two test matches and a lot of people didn't know that after the two test matches, there was a tour game. And on the tour game, I got 100. So after that, I thought, okay, I I think I've saved myself a little bit here. And then uh, the next two test matches, I didn't play. And then I was out of the team. And that's it. That was the last time I wore an India test till for another six years. So I came back to India and I got a lot of runs in domestic cricket. And the next tour was against West Indies and, and my name wasn't in the playing sheet and wasn't in the squad. And obviously I was really, really disappointed. The honest truth is I didn't take it too well. When you were playing the early tests, I'm trying to remember your record. Uh, you said you played two tests in England or one in, on that series? I played uh, two tests in England. I played three tests in the West Indies. So I got picked up to play in England. So 
So I was at Lords. You made runs at Lords. I remember that and thinking that you were quite green. You looked like a very young mm -hmm. player, but I thought you handled Lords quite well. And what was the other test? What am I missing here? Oh, Nottingham. I had forgotten you played at Nottingham as well. Okay, so I now worked out that I've been at a big chunk of your test career because I was also at Bangalore when you played Australia. So my thoughts were that you're a young player. You obviously had made a lot of runs coming through, but you probably weren't a full test player at that stage. Is that a fair assessment of your game? Yes, I didn't know what exactly test cricket was about. It's a very difficult thing to explain because uh, right now you have the IPL and then you have international cricket. So IPL is as close to international cricket as you can get. Domestic cricket, on the other hand, is not as close to test cricket as you can get. And the reality of it is very different for players only playing when you play abroad. Playing in India is one thing. There is a difference with playing with a Dukes ball and playing with an SG ball. So that was the first time I played with a Dukes ball. That's the kind of differences that you might get. IPL, white ball cricket is played all around the world with the same ball. So that's a small difference. Also, the kind of speed that you get, the intensity that you play a test match in versus a, a domestic cricket game is a lot different to anyone that kind of watches the sport. But all things aside, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, Lords was just a dream for me. Walking out of the long room, just playing in front of a lot of people. And I just went ahead and expressed myself. That's all I tried to do. If there's one regret I have in life is uh, knowing too much and knowing too much about the honors board and thinking 49, yes, you're going to get another 51 runs to go and I got out. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so 18 months after Lords and falling 51 short of your honors board, you get dropped by your state side, which is quite a big deal because obviously, you know, you're a prodigy who's gone on to play test cricket. Mm -hmm. Explain what happens there. You said you got runs originally. Then what sort of happens when you get back to India? So I started off, I had a fantastic season. Our state side qualified into the finals of the Ranji Trophy. I had about 400s that season, if I'm not wrong, right after I was dropped. And then I had a long layoff. So there was nothing to do from then till there were no India A games. There was nothing then. I got called up for India A. I was the skipper of India A in 2012. And I thought, okay, let me try and make a comeback. Let me try and maybe I need to do something different. I need to change my technique. I need to learn how to play in foreign conditions. And all of these things that run in your head as a young batter, because that's what you do, right? So if you're out of the Indian team, no matter how good you are in domestic cricket, there still are people saying, oh, this guy needs... Like I got out chopping on twice in my short stint as a test batsman then. So I thought, okay, I have a technical deficiency, so I need to go back and work on it. So I went, worked on it, changed my technique. It took like a long time for me to change from one thing to another. By the time that happened, I stopped getting runs. <laughs> so I had a very below average season, to say the least. I still got one double hundred in the season of eight games. And how much I would love to have a below average season where I only scored a double hundred. <laughs> Yeah, so that season I got a double hundred and then I didn't score much for the rest of the seven games and I ended up being, I was part of the IPL till then, then I was out of the IPL, I was out of the Tamil Nadu domestic team and by this time this had happened, I'd already played 60 odd first class games, 30 odd list A games, five years of IPL and I was out of everything and I was still only 23 years old. So by the time I was 23, I was still figuring out what I wanted to do. And then 
I decided that I would get myself up and go play county cricket. So what if there's no domestic, there's no IPL, there's nothing. You have six months, let's go play county cricket. And I almost signed a deal to play county cricket and then that fell off because a South African superstar signed for that county that year. I think it was Hashim Amla. I'm, I'm not sure. If you got to get replaced by anyone, Hashim Amla is a good person to be replaced by. <laughs> yeah, well, that happened. And then I decided, okay, let me at least go play club cricket. So I ended up in the 2014 season, just before the start of it, I ended up going and playing club cricket. I did a coach's course. I was throwing balls to like kids and the Indian team was there. They were mm -hmm. touring England at that point, the 2014. I even went to Nottingham to see one of the test matches. So could you call that a fall from grace? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's incredible. In your article for Crick Buzz, you talk mm -hmm. about there being a bit of an escapism, though, as well. You were trying to get away from the pressure of India a little bit. Mm -hmm. So there was an emotional release, wasn't there? You were trying to get away from Indian cricket. Now, were you trying to throw yourself into cricket because that's all you knew? Or were you trying to throw yourself into cricket because you had to keep your mind going? I had to keep my mind going because in India, every second person asks you, why aren't you getting runs? Why are you out of form? What's happened to you? Are you getting distracted? I use your technique right. Is this wrong? Is this right? So there were four months in England where uh, luckily I stayed at a friend's place and he used to go to work and I had nothing to do. I would just go into the ground. I, I had keys to the ground, the club cricket, the team that I played for, Loughborough Town Cricket Club. That's based out of Loughborough. And those guys were really kind. I could use their facilities at any given point in time. So that's when I decided, okay, this is great. Let me just stay away from it. And it genuinely helped me because it gave me a different perspective to life. Because in India, you don't mark pitches, you don't roll grounds. And in, you know how it is in club cricket in England. If it rains, you are the one who's pushing the super sopper. I didn't even know there was a manual super sopper till then. So <laughs> <laughs> I only thought those things run on wheels. So these were experiences which kind of brought me down and thought, okay, this is great, man. This is why I started playing the game in the first place. You're not the first player who has struggled and gone to club cricket. I'd probably be the last. <laughs> you might be the last, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it has happened before and you see sometimes really good players end up in Australian club cricket and West Indian players. Nicholas Puran was playing not even club cricket, was he? He was playing like, what would you call them? Random tournaments in America for businessmen not long before he had his breakthrough. Mm -hmm. So it does happen at times. Mm -hmm. The difference that you did, which I find absolutely remarkable, it must have been a humble thing for someone who was hoping he would have his name on Lords three years earlier, is that you then offered to be the 12th man at county games. Yeah. That's like offering to clean the toilets at a local hospital or something <laughs> for a professional crew. That is like a surgeon going, do you know what? My surgery's not going well now. I'm going to just go mop up at the back. When I read that, it just blew my mind. So who is the county that you were 12th manning for? Leicestershire. Leicestershire. Yeah. So it's not even a big county. <laughs> Literally, the ECB is trying to get rid of these counties. And you were, uh, I thought, oh, it must be the Oval. It has to be the Oval. Where else would you go? Maybe Middlesex. Maybe it was Old Trafford if he's got a friend up in Manchester. Leicestershire. That's incredible. A, that you are their 12th man. And could you just, for everyone listening to this podcast, how much did you get paid for 12th man duties? £30 a day. <laughs> and you are running drinks to people who are probably first and second year players. I mean, good, some good players at Leicestershire as well, of course. But you are running drinks to people and you are a test player for India. Yes, sir. <laughs> the fact that you offered to do this means that you were so desperate to be involved and to be around and probably hoping that you could 
you know, if they needed someone or, you know, you also, you were using their Nets facilities and their coaches a little bit, weren't you? I did. There was a lovely coach there. Uh, seem to forget his name. He's uh, the Australian guy, I think. Williams? I forgot his name. I'm sorry. But Ramnare Sawan was there, I remember. He was the captain and he was in the last legs of his career. And there were not too many people wanting to go and play in the Nets after the games. And in England, you have like sunshine till about 9, 9.30. So I had mm. the opportunity to get into the Nets at lunch, get into the Nets after a good day's play. That was the only opportunity for me to get like turf wickets on the dog stick. Those guys used to like throw balls to me at the end of the day, which I wouldn't get anywhere else because it's very difficult getting manpower in England to just have a hit. So I used to carry my kit bag. I used to play a little bit. And see, to be honest, I, I kept hoping that I would get at least a second 11 gig somewhere. I knew I was good enough, Jared. So the thing was, this is not a sob story by any mm. stretch of imagination. I never meant for it. I don't think many people know it even. But thanks for finding that out. <laughs> so I still remember I did about uh, two or three games. I used to do it like once in every two days and it was really depressing because I used to look at the way these guys played and no offense to them but I knew I was better than them and even at that stage but I still couldn't get a gig I would still keep continuing to slog it out there and it was a humbling experience. Well I mean talk about being a humbling experience I'm assuming the Leicestershire players know who you are I mean, we're talking about cricket, so it would take about five minutes for the room mill to get around to be like, you know, that's not just a random guy. That's. <laughs> I suppose what I'm trying to ask is psychologically, yes, you know that you're getting practice, you're still around cricket. Also, you know, Leicestershire is a, you know, a professional environment, so not only do you have the coaches, but you have the good nets, you have everything that you kind of need. But mm -hmm. psychologically, how did you sort of deal with going from Lords to Leicestershire 12th man? Like, how does that affect someone? Uh, it hit me really badly. It actually hit me before that because I was dropped from my state side. I was nowhere. Nobody was talking about me. And suddenly at 24, when nobody even wants to do an interview in a place like India, where no offense to the people in the media, they just love, right? Like there was an article about me once in two weeks, especially in Chennai, where I'm from. There's an article about me. People are talking about me, even if I'm doing well, not doing well, something. Nobody cared. Nobody bothered what I was doing. So I didn't want to play the game, which I was very vocal about. I just said, let me quit. Let me try something else. Let me start a business. Let me start a restaurant. Let me do something else. Like, it's just not working out. I don't mm. think I'm good enough. And then when I went there, I realized I played only so much. So I said, okay, let me give it another shot. Let me play. Let me just enjoy the game. Forget about the numbers. Forget about how much I'm scoring, what I'm doing. Let me give it one more try. Like, this is the best I can do. If I get it, I get it. So the changeover kind of happened there because I realized there were so many cricketers who were playing for the love of playing. Like, I learned more at club cricket than I could learn anywhere else. Trust me. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, to be fair, as someone who's played club cricket in England, club cricket in Australia is a very competitive place. Club cricket in England is a very, very... Everyone just is happy to be there. And in club <laughs> cricket in Australia, if someone's batting at nine and not bowling, they don't seem to care. And in Australian cricket, there is... Uh, words after the game it's a completely different environment so i could see why if you were in that environment there would be oh this is why i got involved when i was a kid and this is fun and i could see how that would i suppose revitalize your spirit exactly and uh, people are very candid they're very honest even though i was a test player uh, that brought in a few people into the grounds and when i got out the first couple of games there obviously i was struggling i was still like trying to find my form and all of that was still happening so i didn't get runs the first couple of games 
there was an old uncle who was sitting on his easy chair like right beside his car and he's like abi your shit <laughs> <laughs> i will never forget that man i looked at him and i'd be like wow that's the first time anyone said that to my face <laughs> I want to go back when you're, especially when you're a young Indian cricketer. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants a piece of you, and I, you know I've had some friends who've been Indian cricketers before. And there's that thing of, I remember coming out of Lords with Royal Dravid because we've been filming together, mm-hmm. and we came out at the same time. And suddenly, I don't know where these fifty people were, but suddenly there were fifty people, and all of them wanted Royal Dravid to the point that he got in his car, and someone just got in the car with him. And Royal wow. Dravid, you know that ad where he pretends to be angry. I promise yeah. you, on this particular day, there was no pretending to be angry. He's like, <laughs> "What are you doing, getting in this car, pushing yeah. this guy out?" And you know, I have hung out with Kevin Peterson and and Darren Goff through you know Talksport and Karen Pollard and all famous cricketers, David Warner. I've never had that that you get with Indian cricketers. Even Pakistani cricketers don't have it at quite at that level. Mm-hmm. When you were that young player, there would have been all that pressure on you. Everyone would have been, you know, it, well, it was probably before WhatsApp. So everyone would have been in your BBM, whatever app you were using at the time. People would have been messaging you constantly. If you went out, there would have been people hanging around your house. All those sorts of things that happen when you're a young Indian star. You then talked about how people just stopped talking about you. Which did you find harder to deal with? I'm really interested on your perspective on this. Did you find it harder to deal with when everyone wanted a piece of you or did you find it harder to deal with when no one cared about you? It's a great question, Jared. See, the thing is, it's funny when everyone wants a piece of you, you just want your space. And when you have your space, you want everyone to get a piece of you. It's <laughs> the irony of being in the public eye, I guess. Uh, and unless two or three people write about you well, people don't know who you are. That's the truth. and it goes hand in hand people like you exist because of people like us and it's vice versa sometimes we forget that more than you guys and i genuinely believe that it's something that goes very much hand in hand like there have been times when i was a younger player that i used to avoid talking to journalists oh what is this another interview this that why should i do it but then i realized the value like because there you would be playing a game in the eastern states of india which no one would bother to watch or see and there will be one guy there at the stadium coming out and watching the whole day without an ac and i genuinely respect these guys and that's why then i started to realize yes okay i understood their value more after being ignored i guess <laughs> so- So you play in the UK, you find this love for cricket again. You know, you're very good at facing dog stick in the nets at Leicester. Yeah. <laughs> um, you then go back to India and what happens there? I go back to India and I was actually made to play a pre-season tournament. So I played a pre-season tournament which I I hadn't done because I had to prove that I was still good enough to play for Tamil Nadu in the Ranji Trophy. And I did that. I did really well there and um I got back into the Ranji Trophy setup you would so call it I played the whole season the previous year mm-hmm. but I was dropped from the one dayers so I had to kind of get back into the side and then it so happened that I got runs I kept getting runs and well it wasn't like I changed my technique or anything I was just very happy to be playing and I didn't care I was very 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 in the sense I was a shy kid but I was also a very studious kid so I had things to go like everything had to go right for me up until that point after that i just let go i just said okay if i'm playing here let me just enjoy playing here and i used to go play everywhere in this period when you were struggling did you see mental health experts or anything or is this all just an internal thing maybe a little bit of maturity as well i suppose uh, i didn't know anything about mental health experts chat i'll be very honest there wasn't a psychologist around 
there wasn't anyone to talk to me and say okay what you're going through is quite normal and i don't know i wish i had seen a sports psychologist i wish i had seen someone i wish i'd known that this there was something like this available it was it's a very scary thing to go talk to your coach and say i don't feel like playing this game when you know your place is in jeopardy it's a very very scary thing to say that like he's just going to drop you right mm. like you need to talk to someone who isn't accountable for your actions so that's why i always feel there should be someone else involved and i've been very vocal about it it's a very very difficult thing to express in our country because the minute you back out there's not one or two or five there are about 100 people waiting behind you in line so yeah. when do you take that call has anyone taken that call it's very difficult to do that uh, it's interesting when i read your story so i was working on a story for quite a long time and hopefully i'll get a chance to finally finish it on pk dharma do you remember pk dharma he played oh in tamil nadu god did you play with him yeah he was in the same school as i was He was, uh, he was my junior. Oh yeah. my God, I didn't realize that. So I'll tell you, I talked to a lot of the coaches that he played with, a lot of the senior players that he played with. They didn't get it even after. So uh, just to explain to the listeners, PK Dharma was a very young, talented player. Probably within a year or two, had he kept developing, he would have played in the IPL. He'd already played for Tamil Nadu, outswing bowler. Everyone told me he was the best fielder in Tamil Nadu. And sadly, he took his own life. And I talked to a lot of people around him, family, friends, coaches a few players that he played with they felt like to me that there was a real attitude of you need to toughen up and that's what he needed to do you need to grow up a little bit and toughen up and he needed to deal with it rather than the other attitude of we need to talk to this boy because he's obviously not happy at the moment how much do you remember of his story i was probably his first captain i've never been asked a question about pk dharma before but well done jared I should have said to you when you asked me what the chat was about but it was only just then I was actually putting everything together when you were talking about mental health I suddenly went well, wait a minute if you're in Tamil Nadu PK Dharma was what would he have been about 2 years younger than you a year younger than you he was a year younger than me so I was technically his first captain in under 13s we played junior cricket together we went to the same school together he was a year junior than me he was one of the most naturally gifted athletes that anyone could see like he could hit the ball a long way and this was way before the t20 revolution you so call it because there was no t20s back then right like yeah. we were talking about 2004 2005 where everyone wanted like a genuine test match all rounder like you if you were in search for the next kapil dev so <laughs> so that's what people were trying for him to be but at the end of the day how much swing can you get in chennai he was a swing bowler he could he could swing the ball but he could hit the ball a long way phenomenal athlete he could run fast was a strong boy we kind of lost touch after school but we were still playing together he played for tamil nadu in the domestic setup he came in and we lost one vijay hazare trophy but there wasn't much that we would interact and i got to hear of the news when i made my test debut in 2011 in the west indies that was when uh-huh. he took his life i remember that very very clearly i was in the west indies at that point and i did not know how to react i still to this day do not know what exactly caused the reason why he took his own life he was an only child he was very close to his parents and he was just a phenomenal athlete like there was so much more that he could offer and it was a clear case of mental health and with regards to suicide i think the awareness should be a lot more but i'm really sorry i have to take a stance on this this toughening up statement is something that you might be able to do i won't be able to do i understand to toughen up is a mm. very easy thing to say but it's very relative so 
what means for you to toughen up might not be for me. Also, when we say toughen up, we don't know he didn't have a chemical imbalance. We don't know that there wasn't a physical reason he was feeling that way. And exactly. look, you and I have both been around cricket for long enough. We know there are a lot of people who self-medicate through alcohol and through other means. And mm-hmm. it's a very, very tough life. And I suppose my other question is that we always talk about India as it's one country, but as you and I know, it's about 55 countries, maybe <laughs> 158, maybe 1.3 billion countries. I'm not sure. There's a lot of countries there. Mm-hmm. Tamil Nadu has a sort of Do you think that mental health is seen differently in every different area? So when I was looking at the PK Dharma story, one thing I came across was there seemed to be a very high suicide rate amongst young men in Tamil Nadu. And there seemed to be almost like a romanticism of it in the cinema that was brought up. Do you think there's something about mental health that is specific to the Tamil Nadu region? Or you just think it's young men in a professional athlete, especially in cricket, because it has, uh, you know, unique pressures? It's gotten worse progressively, Jared, from back then till now. I think it's gotten worse progressively with the invent of all of these reels and TikToks and all of those things, people going live and announcing that they want to take their own life on social media. I think it's a very irresponsible thing to do, but it's not specific to any region or I think it's a bit unfair to say that Tamil Nadu has a high suicide rate. I'm not even sure about the numbers. That was when I looked it up and that was a few years ago. And to be honest, I couldn't find numbers that were accurate enough, but there are a lot of articles suggesting it. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like in cricket. We always say that the suicide rate is higher. And I wonder how much we just started documenting it earlier so that we have it. But yeah, Yeah. no, that's why I was asking you. I'm I'm trying to work out if this is a thing, because I, I would assume that once PK Dharma's story happened, I would have thought there would have been a movement through, especially Tamil Nadu cricket, to start to bring sort of mental health forward. And I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's something that I've been quite vocal about. It's something that is kind of missing in the entire Indian system itself. I think there are a couple of IPL teams now that have brought sports psychologists on board. There are people there, but it's a very difficult thing to afford for younger kids. And that's the target audience, the kind of people... Uh, I know of so many, forget cricketers even, there were so many people playing on my school team who couldn't make it. They're Mm. still working in corporate jobs, but they still love the game. There are so many guys, I've been one of the fortunate guys that made it, but there were many guys who didn't. And that's a kind of a big loss for a lot of people, right? So it's not something to be frowned upon or laughed Mm. about. It's not a taboo anymore. Like you can't say it's a taboo. It's just that the available options could increase. The options of seeking out help, of seeking out people, I think that could increase. That is something that we all could work on. One of the other interesting things is you've obviously written about your own mental health a little bit and you've talked up about it, but you've also talked about, was it the fair and lovely skin products? And uh, you've talked about racism, about your own skin color, the way that you've been treated and you realize that other people have been treated. We do get a lot of Indian cricketers who become politicians, but they usually sort of follow the sort of BJP sort of mold. You know, I'm thinking Gautam Gambia, even Sri Santh was involved. What you have done is sort of something a little bit different. You're speaking up about individual issues that bother you that are quite progressive issues, really. Mental health and skin colour are quite progressive issues. Is it just a frustration at society and you feel that you have a voice? Or why have you spoken up about these sorts of things? So if there's one thing I believe in, If you want the society to change, you should change yourself. So the kind of change that you can make with having a voice and not being vocal about things that you can't change, you can't change racism in one day. Like Black Lives Matter was a movement. I get that. But there are still incidents that are running across the globe. 
I'll be very honest with you about this. The minute I wrote my article about racism, there were friends of mine who were scared to call me by those names. There were friends of mine who used to call me all of these uh, funny things. And then really close friends and the way they call you doesn't matter. Like at least I'm okay with that. But if a third person, I've been called all sorts of names. And as a young cricketer, there is a very, very big impact on your uh, mental health because of that. You suddenly feel like you're not good enough. You suddenly feel like there are so many things. It just led to, it just accumulated and went to a stage where so Virat Kohli posted a photo of me and I was just standing right there and said, hey, like, I can't even see you. So it just culminated into a lot of thoughts from a young age and it kind of only happens to the darker ones. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why it just happens there and I just wanted no one else to go through the same thing that I did. So I just mm. wrote down what I felt. And it's not to make a change to the society. I've never, because I don't know politics. I'm very clear about that. I'm, I don't know anything political, politics. I don't know manifestos. I don't know any, any of that. But what I do know is my own experience of facing all of these things. Mm. And I wanted to write it down so that people talk about it. People at least think somewhere in their head before saying those things. Oh, this guy has written about it. So I will not say this to the next guy. That's all I wanted. Let's go back to your test career from here. Yeah. You do actually make a comeback. We made it sound like at the start that that was the end and you never come back. <laughs> you do actually make a comeback. As I said, I saw you play in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. I think you were one of the few wickets that Nathan Lyon didn't get. That was a fun pitch to have a comeback on. That was, uh, <laughs> from memory, no one was making runs on that wicket. I think Nathan Lyon took an eight for the first innings. I think the seamers and the spinners loved that one. Mm-hmm. You then go on to play in Sri Lanka as well. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the journey to get back into the test team. Again, so from 2015 onwards, I was still, uh, I was still 25. Uh, I was still one of those domestic cricketers who would have a long life, like not playing for the country, just be in and around, just save my spot for the domestic team. And I was there. So then I decided, so what does the Indian captain want? What do the Indian management want? And then I realized it was a fitness thing. So I worked day in, day out the year before the 2016 season. I said to myself, I'm going to reshape myself. And I used to wake up at four in the morning, train the usual things that any athlete should do. So when you said the usual, that's not what I would do, but continue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you want to make it to the Indian team, I I guess that's what was required. Because in Chennai, you can't train post seven o'clock in the Mm. summer months. It's very, very hot. Like 7 a.m. afterwards, it's very hot. So I used to do three sessions a day. I worked really, really hard. I got runs in tough places like Dharamshala. I got runs in Mohali. I got runs in places like that. And then I got picked up for the Indian team. The funny part is you talk about Bangalore. There's something that I wish I forgot from my memory, but I would just like to say it because it just sounds funny at this point. KL Rahul gets injured in the first test where Stephen O'Keefe is the hero. Takes a couple of wickets, yeah. In Pune. Yeah, so Ravi Chandra and Ashwin both to Stephen Smith, KL Rahul gets injured. I come into field at short leg. And trust me, like, I think even my son right now would catch that. Like, a dolly at short leg, and I drop it. Is this what you waited six years for? <laughs> he goes on to get a hundred, and uh, it's one of those things where it's like, my God, you're just destined to be. <laughs> to be fair, you're lucky. I'm one of the few people who remember this. You're not the only person who dropped Steve Smith in that innings. You might have been the one who dropped the easiest catch, yes. but you weren't the only person who dropped him. So you only have a third of the blame, I think, if I remember correctly. <laughs> okay, so you're 12th man, and then everyone doesn't want to look at you in their change rooms afterwards. <laughs> yes, precisely. Like, who is this guy? 
But you still get selected for the next test because Pune and then it was Bangalore, wasn't it? Yeah, I think KL continued to play and Vijay gets injured. So I come in in place of Vijay. Zero first innings, I think. Second ball, third ball. And then the second innings, I get like about 12 or 13. Like top-edged Mitchell Stark for a six. But it was a difficult wicket to play on. Then I realized, mm-hmm. okay, I don't need to continue to change to do something. If I get another opportunity, let me just go ahead and do what I know best. And after that, I didn't get an opportunity again. I was selected in Sri Lanka as the first choice opener. I didn't get runs in the first innings, but second innings, I got 81. I should have got 100, but I got uh, 81 and uh, that was my last test match. Let's focus on that a little bit more. You made runs at Lords. I know it was only 49, but you feel like you're in. You had a very big partnership somewhere in the West Indies with Royal Drive, maybe a 100-run partnership with him early on. Did you ever feel like you were test cricket quality player? I did. I genuinely did. Because the only difference that I would say is somewhere in domestic cricket, I don't think a lot of people talk about it. Once you get to that 50 mark, right, it's just a number, but once you get to 50, you get to 70 or 80 very, very quickly. Because the intensity in domestic cricket is when people kind of just let go. Mm-hmm. They just go through the motions, especially post-lunch. The 50 to 80 is is an easier grind than in test cricket. In test cricket, every run is a grind. And I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of players that you talk about will tell you that. That's where I realized I've got two 40s and a 60. And I kind of lost my concentration in St. Lucia. I lost my concentration a couple of times. But that to me was the biggest differentiator between domestic and international cricket. But I genuinely thought I, I am good for test cricket. For a second, I never felt that I should not be here. Because I'd scored a lot of runs by that point. I'd scored tons and tons of runs in domestic cricket. And I believed that I could play test cricket. You averaged 48 in first class cricket. Well, 47.93, mm-hmm. I think, if we're being technically mm-hmm. correct here. Mm-hmm. You are early 30s. Were you 32, 31? 31, yeah. 31. There's still a chance, isn't there, that you can get a comeback? <laughs> or is there not? Am I just being... There have been stranger comebacks than yours. Like, you know, someone like Chris Rogers, who Australia just ignored for years. And there is still a chance for you to make a comeback. Or you're just like, I'm a first-class cricketer and a cricket commentator now. So, me being a cricket commentator was actually out of necessity because playing first-class cricket in India is probably not as financially great as being a first-class cricketer somewhere else in the world. So, if you're not doing anything during the IPL, if you're not involved in the IPL, it's not lucrative enough. That's what I would say. It became something that I did by choice. Now, I enjoy it. I love commentating. I'm I'm quite a regular there. I enjoy the analysis. I love watching the game with 34 cameras at my disposal now. So it's a fun thing to do. I really enjoy being a part of it. There was no first class cricket this year because of the Mm. COVID situation. And I'm just actually kind of on the fence about what I want to do, where I'm going from here on. Because believe it or not, Jared, I played 145 first class games. And (laughs) I'm 31. So that's the sort of number that you would expect in India for someone who's 35, 36. So I decided the break that helped me was great, but I want to reevaluate my options and see where I am now. So you don't know if you're going to continue. Is that what you're telling me now? Or you do know? I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do because there's still a while for our domestic first class season because I'm right now in the IPL commentating, of course. I know for a sure fact that I'm never going to play IPL again. 
that is something that I do know. And um, the, the bypass that is the IPL is something that I will never have. Mm. And I've been very clear about it even when I made my comeback. But today, if you know a Rahul Tewatia, today, if you know a CV Varun who's played one first class game, all credit to them. I don't have any regret in them playing for India. It's just that they play on a world stage. They play against the best of the international players and they do well there. They get picked up to play for the country. And that is something which is wonderful. But domestic cricket is a harder grind. There are 38 teams playing and you play eight first class games in different venues and don't do well one year. You have to do well two or three years for you mm. to get there. Your AZ2 in goal, this last question. Mm. Did you get a chance in that particular innings to just enjoy being a test match cricketer and being out in the middle? Or you talked about that grind before and having to go after every run. Mm. Because, you know, that's your last innings in test match cricket. It's your highest score in test match cricket. There must be a part of you that never thought you'd even get back into the team. You get back out there. It's goal. It's an iconic test ground. Were you enjoying it or was it just too much? I have to make runs. I have to make runs. No, no, no. That, at that point, I didn't. I, I loved it. I enjoyed every single run of it. I went back to goal the next year, even after that. And then my wife and I uh, went on top of the fort and I was like, that's why I was playing last year. <laughs> so, I ran a two to that area there. Can you see? <laughs> and got a run out in Silly Point and a catch of Dikwella, which was just a really good catch. And I told her that I was more proud of that than anything else. But yes, I did enjoy myself. That was a fun innings. Like you ask any batsman, do you like getting out? No, I didn't like getting out then. I should have got a hundred. I could have got a double hundred, all of that fine. But I have zero regrets about that innings because I went and expressed myself. I just enjoyed myself that day. That's it. Do you think 23-year-old you, who was probably depressed because you thought you're going to play a hundred tests and going to be a great batter, <laughs> right? I'm assuming that's why you were a little bit upset, though. You thought you were going to be that player, and then suddenly yep. you're not. Yeah. Which is a reasonable thing, looking at your first-class record. Mm -hmm. How do you think 23-year-old you would be looking at 31-year-old you? Um, life, much like cricket, I think, has taught me so much. At uh, 23 years old, I wanted to quit the sport. I wanted to not play the game because I hadn't achieved what I was expected to achieve. At 31 years old, I feel like the game has given me so much. It's taught me so much that I would like for me to be remembered as someone who just gave it his all every game. That's it. I don't care about the numbers like 145 games, blah, 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 numbers, blah, 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 hundreds, all of that. The records will be there for people to speak about. But at the end of the day, 31-year-old me is very happy that I chose this profession because it's taught me so much and it's given me so much that I could take home with regards to being the person that I am. It's taught me to be a better human being. It's kind of rounded me down. And uh, I would tell my 23-year-old self that it's not only about playing 100 tests. It's about just being a good person. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jared. Pleasure is mine. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon. So thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears. And the theme tune is called The Prisoner by The Red Crickets.